0: Kaiju lovers, I am Nate Marchand, the host and curator of the Monster Island Film Vault.
1: Welcome everybody back to a brand new episode of whatever this is. I'm Elijah, and <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to yeah, do. You're so the
0: hotel. Go. No, no, no. you got to tell the people this. This is your grand return to podcasting. You are the host of Kaiju Conversation.
1: Okay. I, uh, <laughs> I am the host of Kaiju Conversation. I am Elijah Thomas. I am back... For the most part. <laughs> and.
0: and we're here to celebrate your birthday and my birthday. And Ray's birthday. And Ray's birthday. Because, good Lord, all of we it was set so funny to think about. You and me, that was crazy enough, that we share a birthday. June 29th. But what was even nuttier is we found out that we share it with... The great Ray Harryhausen. We are yeah. in good company, my friend. We, and Gary Busey. Gary Busey. Oh, my gosh. Ginger Dead Man. Huh? That was an actual movie he was in. Anyway, we're <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I never saw it, but it exists. Anyway, so you and I thought to ourselves... You know what? We're podcasters. We love monster movies. We podcast about monster movies and we share a birthday with Ray Harryhausen. This is too perfect. So we decided to start a new little like a sub series on both of our shows. So hello to everyone on both of our podcast feeds. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How's it going? I'm sure you miss Elijah over here. He, Absolutely, we all, all miss all the little two
1: of my listeners.
0: <laughs> and you know, it's right up there with my five.
1: You know, but oh. <laughs> I mean, you got you got Jimmy too. Yeah,
0: I, yeah, that's true. I do have Jimmy. Yeah, see, he's here today.
1: <laughs> well, hi, Jimmy.
0: <laughs> Yeah, you got to keep him in line. He he got in trouble a little bit earlier. He made an unauthorized visit to the beta site here on Monster Island and uh, got himself into a wee bit of trouble.
2: Uh,
0: oh, calm down, Jimmy. You you're just going to lose all your Uber money for the last 6 months. You'll be okay. But anyway. Ooh. So, You and I decided that we were going to do an annual crossover episode for both of our feeds where we talk about a Ray Harryhausen movie. And what's funny is I asked you, okay, so because I've already covered a couple of Ray Harryhausen movies on my show. So I said, how do you want to do this? And you don't remember this.
1: (laughs) I don't remember a lot. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well you've you've had a quite a blur you just graduated high school you're turning 18 oh my gosh <laughs> this is a milestone birthday is it yeah i would say so oh. it's a big deal you're legally an adult now as of this podcast recording
1: i can legally go to war yes. and die
0: and you can well well i don't know can you buy cigarettes in your state at age 18
1: no oh. and i would never do that
0: well, yeah, but I'm just, you know, there's a lot you can do. But Stay anyway. in
1: school, don't do drugs, and hang out with people that do do drugs. That's right, Nathan, I said do do. Happy? <laughs> I am thrilled at that. Thank you so much. <laughs>
0: yeah, so you said, let's go backwards. I'm like, okay. I mean, It kind of made sense, considering I've covered three of Ray Harryhausen's earlier films. I did Mighty Joe Young. I did Beast in 20,000 Fathoms. And most recently, with our friends, Travis Alexander and Michael Hamilton of the Kaiju Weekly Podcast, I did 20 Million Miles to Earth. Have you done any Ray Harryhausen on your show? I forget.
1: I have not done a Ray Harryhausen movie. I did a discussion about stop motion Uh with a YouTuber that is no longer a good person. (laughs) I have talked about the – no, I haven't. I don't think besides the stop motion thing, I've actually done anything Ray Harryhausen related. I feel like I've done something – I don't know. I, I, I talk about movies all the time. I, I know I've talked about it somewhere. I don't know if it's on record, though.
0: Okay, that makes sense. But we're going, like I said, we're going to be covering some Ray Harryhausen movies every year, as long, at least as long as we're podcasters. And we are starting with his final film, because we're weird, Clash of the Titans from 1981, not to be confused with the 2010 remake, which, just to get this out of the way... I wasn't a huge fan of the
1: remake. (laughs) It's been a long time. See, this is something I thought about. I haven't seen it in a long time. The original Um, or the remake? I mean, both. But I haven't seen the remake in a long time. But I remember, I mean, the thing I remember most from it is the horrible, horrible color grading. Oh, yeah, because they at the last
0: second, they converted it to 3D. Is that what happened?
1: Is that why it went all orange and white and orange and brown and white? Probably didn't help.
2: Yeah, yeah. Probably didn't
0: help. The only thing that I like in the remake is Liam Neeson as Zeus because Liam Neeson is awesome in everything. Even Star Wars. Yes. Yes, yes. Don't upset Jimmy. Well, Jimmy actually doesn't like the prequels, but I think we agree that Liam Neeson is a bright spot.
1: That's for sure. I mean, he's just a good actor. Yeah,
0: he really is. He really is. But, you know, it made sense, given what we're going to talk about in this movie, that you would have someone with the gravitas of Liam Neeson to be Zeus. Right. So, if you feel up to it, Mr. Thomas, would you like to give everyone a quick little plot rundown on this film?
1: absolutely i will i will give you guys the plot rundown a 100 percent stone face serious the best plot breakdown of all time so this dude gets a coffin and throws his daughter in the daughter's baby his grandchild into the coffin he yeets the coffin off of a cliff into the water the water yeets the coffin away we find out that the dude whose daughter had the child is actually Zeus's child. And Zeus is like, Yo no bra, we gotta fix this. He gonna die. We're gonna kill him with our kraken and then we're gonna save my that daughter because I love her. I cheated on my wife for her, and I have a baby. And then from there, the baby got saved. <laughs> the baby breastfed with the nipples. The big nipples. And they walked along the beaches naked. And then fast forward and he's All grown up, and then he's like looking at some moon, and then Zeus is like, or not Zeus, one of the other gods is like, I'm gonna move you into a coliseum with a weird theater guy, and the theater guy's gonna be like, who goes there? (laughs) 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 And then we find out he's just a cool old dude that's kind of like sorry for all the theatrics I just try and scare people because I want them to think this place is haunted (laughs) just like our theater director trust me I know (laughs) and then he's like oh my god there's this beautiful sword it just appeared out of nowhere and this beautiful helmet and this beautiful shield and then he finds out that the helmet turns invisible so he runs off to the closest city and he's like why are these people burning And and then this dude's like Yo bro, these people, they try to get with the queen's daughter, and then they got the riddle wrong, so they got burned. And then from there, the dude that got geeted off the cliff that has a baby who breastfed on the nipple and walked across the beach naked. He was like, I'm gonna sneak into this girl's room and look at her. That's what Cullen on. style. And then he walks in. And he stares at her, and then he sees this big birdie headed right for him.
2: you think this be in New York.
1: And then the big birdie is like, squash, squash, squash. And then the daughter, uh, the, the lady, the lady that he snuck into the room Andromeda. to look at while she's Andromeda, Andromedia she gets up but it's not her actual self it's like a ghost and then she walks into the cage and the bird's like squaw 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 and then the bird flies away Perseus, the dude who breastfed and was naked on the beach and got (laughs) yeeted off the cliff
2: this is is a very important
1: detail i could tell yes yes very very important he's like i have destiny i must sleep with this person (laughs) He just gets horny on mane, and the rest of the movie is him horny on mane. He, he he just has this raging erection, and that is that is exactly what he's here for. He's just there to try and satisfy his desires. So the rest of the movie is him fighting scorpions and two-headed dogs, and this lady with weird snakes on her hair and this demon dude oh I did the demon dude 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 the demon dude he was like the daughter of the woman of the lady god that moved Perseus into the theater Uh, and son you mean you said daughter oh the the son he was the son (laughs) sorry there's a lot of children in this movie (laughs) only one of them breastfed though (laughs) And then Zeus turns the son into this demon dude who has horns and a long tail and for some reason likes to whip people. Mm. Anyway, Perseus and the this devil dude, Calibus, They fight. He steals the ring. He uh, he wins the daughter, the princess who he's stuck in sleeping, he wins her hand in marriage and the queen's like, "We're going to get After killing you a married. monster. After killing Killing well, a kaiju. Well, not at first. Ah. He cuts off Calibos's hand, he answers the riddle, he wins, everything's happy. She insults the goddess, and then they're like, she's like, How dare you insult me in front of my statue? I'm going to curse you. You're gonna have to sacrifice your daughter to the Kraken? Or else I'm gonna kill all of you! So then they send Perseus off onto an adventure to kill all these weird monsters to get the head of Medusa, this lady snake girl, and the silver-haired witch. (laughs) From three witches who have no eyeballs. Then they kill the, the Medusa. They travel back. They kill the devil dude. They kill giant scorpions. And during this, they get a metal owl that's an R2 D2 ripoff, even though it was made before R2 D2. And there's a flying horse. And they go back to the, the city. And it's just in time because the Kraken's like, Wah, ah, ah. and the, the princess is like,
2: oh no, oh no.
1: And then, just like a storybook, Perseus comes from the sky on his Pegasus and he gets knocked out of the sky only for the metal bird the r2d2 knockoff to save us by grabbing the head of medusa from the ocean giving it to perseus and perseus going feast your eyes this and turning the kraken into stone upon which it then collapses and falls into the ocean and then he kisses the girl and everybody lived happily ever after zeus is like He won. I'm better than all of you gods. (laughs) I am the king, and that is why. And then it ends with a beautiful uh, scroll of uh, constellations. Yes. Of which there are no breastfeeding in. (laughs) And that's the movie.
2: Uh,
0: That's the the movie. That, uh... You've uh, outdone yourself there, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
1: truly, truly Oscar worthy. Oscar. I know, right? I mean, it was just astonishing. Yeah. This is A++ plot. Oh, flash, flash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, quite.
0: Anyway. <laughs> Hello, Michael. That was for you. In, and, indubitably.
1: <laughs> indubitably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, anyway, So. In a lot of ways, i was just going to start this off by saying, even when I first saw this as a wee lad, knowing that this was released in 1981, it was really weird because this doesn't quite feel like a 1981 movie.
1: See, and this is one of my big talking points in the film. I think this film suffers because it was released in 1981. Mm. How so? So it was Ray Harryhausen's final film.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's very grand on scale, but the thing about it is while watching the movie, because I know it was released in nine, 1981, it reminds me of a movie like terror from beyond beyond mm-hmm. um, that indie film that clearly wasn't made in the 1950s Mm -hmm. it was made in modern day, but they tried to capture that essence of the 1950s giant monster movie, Mm -hmm. except in this, it's the people who worked on the 1960s fantasy movies Mm -hmm. doing a fantasy movie in 1981.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And when you compare it to what was around, I mean, by this time, Phil Tippett had made a name for himself, star Wars by a Clash of the Titans, you had A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. I mm-hmm. think The Thing came out in 1981. It might have been early 1982, but I know it was in that same time frame, which that has stop motion. You've got films like, you know, E.T. came out mm-hmm. in are that time. Are you time. thinking of Dragon Slayer? I didn't think of Dragon Slayer, oh, okay. but my point being, I mean, Superman. Superman's Superman, you know, yeah. mm mm-hmm. All of these that came out around this time. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, the entertainment landscape completely changed in the late Mm -hmm. 70s thanks to Star Wars. Right. And so that's why, I mean, this feels remarkably old-fashioned. This feels like a 1960s movie that came out in 1981.
1: It does, and I think think because of that, the film is dated more than it should be. It definitely doesn't feel like it's held up. Because of the fact it came out in 1981 Mm -hmm. and not like 1968. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, there are a few sequences like with the three witches that it feels 1980s. It's like, okay, this kind of reminds me of like Labyrinth, Mm -hmm. you know, Jim. And by the time that Clash of Titans came out, I think Labyrinth was early. uh, It was mid 80s mid 80s Mm -hmm. labyrinth is kind of what i think reshaped fantasy films Mm -hmm. superman i think also did wonders on that
0: oh yeah 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 the 1980s was the prime decade for fantasy films there were a bunch of them in the 80s and And a lot of them are classics labyrinth legend conan the barbarian speaking of which did you know that Arnold they, they yeah. were at one point yeah the, they were trying to get financing and went to Orion Pictures and they wanted Arnold
1: to be Perseus and this was pre Terminator yeah it was so...
0: he had just finished Conan Conan mm-hmm. was 19 it was released in 1982 so, so they wanted him in there you know it would have been like this big burly muscle man and Arnold grew up watching sword and sandal movies
1: but mm-hmm.
0: I don't think he uh, would have fit with this. And they ended up not going with it because there was too much dialogue.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, until really until I would say after after Terminator Mm -hmm. um, was when Arnold started getting the reason he was picked for Terminator was because there wasn't many lines. Yeah. He, He was one of those actors that you never gave him a lot of lines. Mm
2: hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: But Arnold wasn't the only choice. They also considered Michael York, Malcolm McDowell, and Richard Chamberlain. hmm. Very different, but closer to what we got with... Mr. Hamlin, I think is his name. Harry Hamlin. Yeah,
1: yeah, Harry Hamlin.
0: Who was an unknown. Now, there's a lot of big-name stars in this movie. In fact, it's probably the most prestigious cast of any Harryhausen movie. Uh,
1: Harryhausen, in an interview, did say that Clash had the biggest uh, actors
2: mm-hmm. that he
1: had worked on. With on a film, mm-hmm. but it was all the gods. Yeah, I,
0: I think that fits though. I mm-hmm. think that fits, in- uh, including Lawrence Olivier. Remember, I was talking about Liam Neeson bringing such gravitas as Zeus. It's because we had Lawrence Olivier here as Zeus in this one, and uh, like all of the actors for the gods were these Shakespearean actors from England. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you know one of them was a Bond girl?
1: I did. I did. Ursula wow. Andress.
0: Right. She was Aphrodite, and apparently and was so good as Aphrodite,
1: she had an affair with Perseus. <laughs> yeah, and an and affair they had with Mr. Hamlin, and had a kid. Yeah, yeah, and then they got divorced two years later. Of course, because that's how these that's how these things work in Hollywood. Right. <laughs> okay. So, but, going back to the main discussion point here, mm-hmm. there are certain scenes that feel '80s. But it, it's really weird because you're watching the film and it's got the Technicolor look.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very bright, very colorful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's I, I, this is for, used for lack of a better term. It's very flat with its depth. Mm-hmm. But then you cut to certain scenes and it's like, okay, there's a big sound stage here,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like the Three Witches. There's a few other sequences that escape me right now but you can tell they're on this on on a big sound stage oh, or, they also filmed on location yeah or on location and with the cameras they were using it just it feels bigger mm-hmm. um, yeah they
0: filmed in England Malta Spain and where italy. they found some rare rock formations mm-hmm. and uh Pestune, italy i hope i said that right which is where some of Jason and the Argonauts have been filmed. And when they were
1: filming on a set it was at Pinewood Studios. Mhm. I don't know, it's just it's weird because most of the film you feel like you're watching a 1960s Harryhausen, but then there are certain scenes it's like, "Oh, okay, the color grading here and the the lighting and like the just the style of it has switched entirely to mm-hmm. 1980s,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I think is the director's input flooding in more so than Harryhausen, because Harryhausen was a producer on this film. So he had more say on Clash of the Titans than I think most of his past films. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Desmond Davis. But like even to one of the writers for Clash of the Titans wrote Jason and the Argonauts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Beverly Cross. Mm-hmm. And one of the actors was also in Jason and the Argonauts. I'm trying to remember which oh, one it was. Oh, okay. But, you know, there, there was a lot of, there, there's a good amount of overlap between the classic Harryhausen and what was modern Harryhausen. Mm-hmm. But I think this is an example of Harryhausen sticking to his guns and not adjusting for the time period. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, by this time, Phil Tippett was like, you know, he was about to be peak in his work. Mm -hmm. And Phil Tippett was the 19, the late 1970s and 1980s Ray Harryhausen. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. So I feel like people like Stan Hyde, I would say. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, just as Harryhausen overshadowed Willis O'Brien in the late 40s and the 1950s, I think that had came to Harryhausen as well Mm -hmm. by this time because O'Brien, you know, you had Beast from Hollowed Mountain and you had the Black Scorpion, which just couldn't compete with the brilliance of 20 million miles to Earth or the Beast from 20,000, or great example, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms compared to the Giant Behemoth. Mm Mm-hmm. Ray Harryhausen, Wills Mm O'Brien. Harryhausen's is way better, more detailed in every way. Mm -hmm. O'Brien's is lacking. Mm -hmm. And I think Clash Mm -hmm. of the Titans suffers from that a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, It
0: feels a little out of place with its time period. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and yeah. that's not to say it's a bad film, and it, it did no, really well. I, I think
0: it's fantastic, and it did well at the box office. It was, it was made for around fifteen million dollars or nine million, depending on who you talk to, and it mm-hmm. made seventy million. It was a hit. Right, so, they almost made a sequel mm-hmm. in the in the mid eighties, nineteen eighty four. It was going to be called Force of the
1: Trojans. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, That's it weird is. Movie. And
0: then there was a comic book spinoff called Wrath yeah. of the Titans, which then got was the title used for the sequel to the remake, which I never mm-hmm. bothered with the sequel to the remake because I didn't care for Likewise. the remake.
1: Likewise. Yeah. But, yeah, so, you know, I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm trashing the film, but it just... It feels out of place. It, it does. It feels like its time had came and gone, and this was kind of... It was Ray Harryhausen's last... He hadn't worked on a film in, I think, over 10 years by this point. Uh, no, he did some work in the 70s. Well, as stop-motion animator slash director special effects, because it was a Sinbad movie in 71. I'm looking it up. Keep talking. I, I think... Cause you know, seventy-seven Sinbad and the Eye of the, tiger,
0: Eye of the Tiger, which, well, if we I, keep up with our schedule, it will be what we talk about next year.
1: <laughs> which, yeah, it, and but before that, he had taken a break. If I remember, yeah,
0: seventy-three Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and before mm-hmm. that, it was
1: sixty-nine with Valley of Guanji. So he had been, you know, uh, considering the fact that at one point he was doing a movie every year in the 1950s and then a movie like every other year in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It took and then him three was, years to make this one. Yeah, yeah. Because I know the. a lot of people claim that the bird, was it the Bobo? Bobo. No. Bubo. Bubo, the Bubo was, a lot of people said Bubo was a R2-D2 ripoff. And then Harryhausen said, well, he was made before R2 yeah. was out, which, you know, that'd be 76. So it had been, it, it, it had been a long oh, time coming. Star Wars coming, was 77. But like production of it. I'm oh, yeah. sure there mm-hmm. were some mm-hmm. some designs going in oh, yeah. probably late 76. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's 1976 was probably when ideas for Clash started happening. Eye of the Tiger came out in 77, you uh-huh. said? Mm-hmm. And then by the end of that, I think, was when the script was done mm-hmm. and they were shopping around trying to mm-hmm. get an approval. And, you know, people were saying... Yeah, say, yeah. Well,
0: and it took them a while to get approval. It, because it took, of budgets and whatnot. Well, budget, and it got smacked with the censor hammer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's right. That's yeah, because it was uh, the of...
0: ending was going to be more brutal. The kraken was going to tear poor Pegasus apart, and in keeping with the actual myth of Perseus and Andromeda, Andromeda, you would have gotten more nipples. She was going to be
1: nude, just more breasts.
0: Yep, yep. But the sensor hammer said no, so they adjusted it so. Pegasus does not die
1: and Andromeda doesn't have to be naked. So. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, so you know, it it had taken it a while and then they started filming in 1980.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then they wrapped up and released in 81. So, you know, from 1977 or like 1978, 79 and 80, that was the time they were Working on script and then, you know, Mm -hmm. filming it. So you know that that's a pretty long time for a film.
0: Yeah. Well, and and, uh, Harryhausen had a rough time with this. This was the first time he had assistants. He was essentially the AG Super Raya.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve
0: Archer and Jim Danforth, and Danforth had worked with Harryhausen before. And it was just going to be Steve Archer, but Steve Archer injured his hand while making the movie. Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up that this... Uh, this was a thought that just occurred to me. Harry Harryhausen said in an interview that he actually prefers the past to the future. He thinks it's more romantic. The future, he thought, was too focused on destruction. So the fact that we have a movie being released in 1981 that feels like it belongs in the 60s actually makes some sort of weird sense. Yeah, yeah, it's very poetic. Uh-huh. But it, obviously Harryhausen basically retired after this. I wonder if part of it was because his style of special effects was old hat, but I also think it was because, and I saw this in several sources doing the research, he was just burnt out by making yeah. this movie. That's why for the first time in his life, he actually used assistants.
1: Yeah, it, and I think at some parts it shows. Like, earlier in the film, I think the stop motion is... I, the superimposition is not good. There are some
0: shots where, where yeah, it doesn't
1: look very good. I was kind of disappointed on my rewatch. A lot of it reminds me of the, 19, the late 1960s Dai Gamera films with its superimposition. Oh, that's harsh. Oh, that's harsh! Is it? Is it oh. like Gueron? Gueron levels at superimposition. Oh, that hurts!
0: Oh, uh, uh, show of Gamora is hard for me to watch without Joel
1: in the like, box. <laughs> well, like when they're uh, when they're about to go on the boat to uh, the uh, on the boat to ride the Death Sea. Am I? Am I getting it's, the that?
0: River sticks, River yeah. sticks and Quran
1: yeah when they're about to get on kuran's boat, mm-hmm. all the fog in that is just hmm. That, that was like, "ow. I, I've seen be- like 1979 John Carpenter's "The Fog." Mm. You know there's an example of like a film where they probably superimposed some fog on on the film, and I thought it looked way better than than Clash of the Titans. Mm. And the fog, I think, was on a lower budget too.
0: Which is interesting because, I uh, just said, this was quoted at $15 million, which, interestingly, was by far the most expensive movie that Harryhausen ever made. In fact, the Ray Harryhausen podcast went so far as to say that that was, the, that was more than the combined budget of every movie he made before
1: this. Which is really weird. I, I don't know, it's just... That's well, because, next budget...
0: to Star Wars, movies like this were more expensive.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's it was Star Wars and Jaws. Jaws is Stars, what like, yeah, really Star Wars kicked it off.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just it's weird because I feel like his earlier films, they might have been less. What's the word I'm looking ambitious? for here? Yeah, they might have been less ambitious because I feel like they like I think 20 million miles looks way better then clash on a special effects level besides the ending. I think the ending is where
0: I disagree with you, sir. I think I I have to agree with Harryhausen's best friend in the world. Ray Bradbury Medusa is his crowning achievement.
1: Ooh, I mean, Medusa was pretty good. All those little snakes. That's what that is true.
0: That is true. All the little snakes moving and going every which way. Because Harryhausen said that he had seen Medusa in movies before, but they all he said all they really did was just put rubber snakes on an actress. He wanted to see the snakes moving in all these different directions. Like they all had their own individual life and they were just moving around. And her face, her character design, the way she moved There's some optical effects with her when she uses her petrification powers and her eyes get big and glow green. Her eyes are amazing. My gosh. Her her eyes look almost real. It's ridiculous. You know, and then that whole sequence with her sneaking around, the fact that she's lit by firelight and somehow Harryhausen replicated that and it looks amazing. And it was blended with the live-action footage because Hamlin, as Perseus, was reacting to nothing.
1: Right. It was a lot like when the actor for Sinbad had to fight the skeletons.
0: No, that was Jason and the Argonauts.
1: Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's all right. I need to rewatch a lot of his films. Yes, Um, this is true. That's why we're starting the series. (laughs) Yeah, and that's one thing I do. Towards the end of the film, when they release Pegasus from being trapped when Pegasus is like freaking out because you know, the, the whole camp is burning mm-hmm. the colors in that I thought were beautiful. Oh, it yeah. was rainbow like, and I was like, wow, this is, I really
0: like this.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but you, know,
0: you were saying about the finale. What did you like about the finale with, with the I, Kraken, release w- the Kraken. <laughs> we got, we, we had, to, you know, we had to get it in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> the big line from this movie. So, at the beginning, I was really disappointed with the crack. I, the underwater prop is horrible. That's they why had two I, of
0: them, and one was a 15-foot prop that they used for the underwater shots.
1: I hated, like, it doesn't look good at all. But when we get to the maquette, mm-hmm. or the armature, the armature, mm-hmm. it... Feels so big. Like it, it just does. I loved the that the, the finale I think is really, really nice with how they treat the Kraken as this huge object. Mm-hmm. And then you've you know, you've got Harry doing the Kraken, some of the Medusa head Bobo, right? Bill, Bubo. Bobo? Boobo Bubo. Bubo. I keep wanting to say Bilbo, but I know that's not it. <laughs> I know that's not it. Boobo,
0: Boobo Baggins,
1: <laughs> and Pegasus. So he's there's four stop motion creatures in this one scene, mm-hmm. and they're trying to combine it with a live horse, two actors.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot on, of
1: cutting
0: back and forth uh, because yeah. Calibus was an actor on set for the close-ups and a puppet
2: mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. had a real horse water. and the maquette for pegasus I, no- mm-hmm.
1: I noticed there was a lot of editing in this film like there, there was a lot of cutting mm-hmm. which sometimes i was like this is a little like jumpy like going from one to the other so quickly mm-hmm. but i also understood i thought okay that's that's an fair way to, to try and do this instead of trying to go over the superimposition that mm-hmm. is kind of lacking in this film
2: mm-hmm.
1: so I feel like we're going to go into a rabbit hole with this one the score oh. at the end mm-hmm. I love that the score throughout the film is so big It is
0: and and it's big it's epic and also romantic which makes sense for this story hmm And, like, you know... Yeah, the-, the composer was Lawrence Rosenthal, but it was almost John Barry. What did he do? Lawrence Turn Rosenthal or John Barry? John Barry. John Barry was best known for doing James Bond movies. Really? Uh-huh. He also tried his hand at science fiction and fantasy, but he had a mixed track record with that. Like, he did the score for King Kong 76, which is great, Ooh. but the movie was what yeah. it was.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. This is probably one of two Harryhausen films that I would say have a great, memorable soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Seventh Voyage, I think, would be the other one that I I would say is up there to this grandiose. Mm -hmm. And this was done by uh, the London uh, Symphonic... Orchestra, mm, mm-hmm. if I if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember because they they did a lot of those more fantasy films back mm-hmm. then, didn't they? Sounds kinda, right. Didn't they do? Wasn't didn't John Williams conduct them for Star Wars? I don't know offhand. I, I know they've done a lot. Mm-hmm. So let me uh, do a quick Google search here. So. Uh Raiders of the Lost Ark mm-hmm.
0: which this opened the same day as Raiders of the Lost Ark That's
1: crazy. Yeah, they did Superman. Okay, okay. they did Superman. Let's see here. They did a lot of film. Oh, Okay, so they actually did, for Harryhausen, The Three Worlds of Gulliver, Mysterious oh. Island, both by Bernard Herman. They did The Sound of Music. They've done a lot. Yeah. They did Star Wars, The Fury, Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. Clash of Titans, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Dark Crystal, Return of the Jedi, yeah, they did all the Star Wars, it looks like. So, you know, uh, being able to hear them do this, it was really nice because, I mean, that orchestra is just astounding, Mm -hmm. you know. Without them, we wouldn't have such beautiful compositions for a lot of, like, John Williams' work. Mm -hmm. For sure. So, you know, I I, I just I love the music in this. I thought the ending really was just so rich
2: Mm -hmm. with
1: color with stop motion It was just effects in general with the score. It just, it felt right that that was the final bow of Harry Harryhausen mm-hmm. as special effects director mm-hmm. in cinema. Mm-hmm.
0: In some ways it's kind of bittersweet watching that you know, this movie from that feels like it belongs in a bygone era <laughs> and how this was kind of the end of that.
1: Right yeah no uh, when clash of the titans came out it was the end of a genre Mm -hmm. in a way i would say it was the last i I kind of say like arabian nights Mm -hmm. film do you do you know what i'm trying to say when i say that like it was the last of the thousand and one tales yeah yeah because at this and, point, Harryhausen's bread
0: and butter was fantasy films like this but, oh, yeah. that are based in the classics. He was and, a lover of the classics,
1: right? And he he hated where cinema was going with realism, and you know he mm-hmm. he went as far to say as those more realistic movies are boring. Mm-hmm. He he
0: said that in an interview that the the movies were meant for fantasy,
1: <laughs> right? Which it's. That is a can of worms. That is that, a can of worms. <laughs> that I
0: heavily have an yeah. opinion in. Yeah, I would probably would say like, you know,
1: Ray, I love you, but probably not. <laughs> well, see, I agree with him mm. to an extent. Mm-hmm. I think the genre that he was in. Mm hmm that, you know, horror, science fiction, fantasy action, Mm -hmm. that opinion translates very well into tokusatsu. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, David Callet talked about how in uh, Japanese culture, cinema is viewed more as an art. Mm -hmm. Japanese culture likes art and fantasy and poetry Mm -hmm. more than it does uh, realism realism Mm -hmm. and that's what really draws me to Japanese genre films is it's crazy
2: Mm -hmm. which is funny
0: because Harryhausen was was known for saying he didn't like the Japanese stuff although I saw an interview for I think it was for my 20 million miles episode where he said nice things about what quote-unquote the Japanese were doing
1: Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: But as a rule, he didn't like what the likes of Eiji Tsuburaya and and the Japanese were doing.
1: Right. He thought it was cheap. Right. right. In which I would go as far to say is what Tsuburaya was doing is what kind of ended up altering the landscape of special effects.
2: Mm-hmm
1: which is kind of what put Ray into this era that by the 1980s was gone. I -hmm. think the reason why the Godzilla films of the 1980s and 90s don't feel dated is because the idea of miniatures with, you know, mechanical parts or men in suits or puppetry Mm – was really the push of special effects in that era. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, you still saw like in Terminator, there is stop motion. In Robocop, there mm-hmm. is but stop it's motion.
0: Very different from what Ray was doing.
1: Right. It was more of a, okay, we can't do this with modern technology. How are we supposed to do this without it making it look bad? Oh, well, let's get Phil Tippett to do stop motion mm-hmm. or Stan Hyde. Right. And then, of course, you know Jurassic Park came out ten years later. Ten years and later, I,
0: completely changed the the landscape.
1: You know, I, I, I'd say, I'd say King Kong, and then maybe like the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, and then Godzilla, and then something like Star uh, Jaws, Jaws or Star Wars. Star Wars. There, and there, then
0: there are these these moments in cinematic history that just change everything.
1: Yeah. Which, you know, I think Ray was a little upset by that.
2: Mm-hmm. Ray
1: was very much a man of tradition, mm-hmm. I would say. I mean, he grew up on stop motion. He mastered the craft of stop motion. He died on stop motion. Mm-hmm. Like, he he, he he did not change his ways. No. He kept to what he knew best. Mm-hmm. And that's both admirable and I think... A hit to his genius mm-hmm. because of the fact that he couldn't go anywhere different, but he could keep putting out gold mm-hmm. with his effects. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, Ray Harryhausen is the greatest stop motion artist of all time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I will die on uh, that. Uh, other than
0: potentially Willis O'Brien, because would, without Willis I, O'Brien, there would be no Ray Harryhausen.
1: Willis O'Brien is the Godfather, but Harryhausen is the King. Oh yeah, yeah. I no question. I respect. I respect O'Brien, but I feel like if I saw like Clash of the Titans or Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms in theaters, I would not see the jerking that I saw in like King Kong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like, like I said, if you compare Beast to Behemoth. I think it's night and day, the the quality. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: Harryhausen had imitators uh, back in the the 60s, for Mm -hmm. sure, uh, who they just could never do it as well.
1: Right. Another, uh, you know, a film that came out around the time Eye of the Tiger came out Planet of the Dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. That had pretty good stop motion and a a little wink to Harryhausen with Mm -hmm. the Rattosaurus appearing. Mm -hmm. And that film that That definitely is a film of the it feels more early seventies than nineteen seventy seven mm-hmm. but like that that's another one of those I think last hurrahs of stop Motion mm-hmm. for the prime usage in mm-hmm. in its films
2: mm-hmm.
1: Do you want to switch on to a different topic here? Oh, I'd love I to like... I'd
0: love to. I've got plenty of notes that we can go into with this there's a lot that we could bring up i have a lot of notes about uh, about medusa and how that scene like i said you know we talked about the sensor hammer they also this is the funny thing the medusa scene which is i think one of the greatest scenes in this movie Mm -hmm. i've made that i've made that known did you know that that scene got hit with almost almost got hit with the sensor hammer in both the united states and britain but for very different reasons
1: it wouldn't surprise me.
0: Yeah. The American censors were worried about Medusa basically being topless. Right. I mean, it's she has exposed breasts, but they're covered in snake scales. So and Mary I mean, hasn't had to play with lighting to get around that. Mm-hmm. But they did have but the American censors didn't have any problems with her getting decapitated. Meanwhile, the, the British censors didn't care about the nudity, but they were worried about the decapitation.
1: (laughs) It's like, pick your poison here.
0: Basically. So it's just funny how that all worked out. This is, by the way, the only Harryhausen film that is rated PG. Although you were joking. It's like, how is this PG? Because it has nudity. It's also the only Harryhausen movie with nudity. But this was before the PG-13 rating existed. Although... I did once rent a movie as a wee lad that was rated PG, and it had some brief nudity in it, and my mother was not happy with me. <laughs>
1: was it a dinosaur movie? No, it was Robot Jocks,
0: the <laughs> the Full Moon movie with the stop motion robots. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, I was like, I just she's she's like, what? How? It's like you brought this movie. I was like, I didn't know. <laughs> I was surprised that you are. <laughs> so I wonder if the same thing might have happened there. I mean, you already made numerous jokes about it because we have a breastfeeding scene. There's a, the nude walk on the beach. But that, that was classical culture in ancient Greece. It wasn't a big deal. It was just the accepted norm. I mean, you look at most Greek sculpture, <laughs> it, they're nudes. The Greeks loved the human form. And mm-hmm. I think this movie does showcase that a little bit, but you know, so there, uh, so you had that issue that poor Medusa ran up against.
2: Yeah. And
1: I will say, I really like, I mean, the set design in that scene, I think is really nice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't remember a lot. The lighting the is remake. what does it? Yeah. The, the lighting is so dramatic. And I think that's what makes it better than the remake. Because mm. mm-hmm. if I remember right, the remake is a lot more. I don't dull. even I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even remember
0: Medusa being in the remake. I remember the Kraken is in the remake, but I don't
1: remember if Medusa was in it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll look it up here. Keep talking.
1: The lighting like you brought up is really nice. I like how uh, she cluster- was. She was. Okay. And she was CGI.
0: CGI. Mm-hmm. No surprise. But yeah, she was in the uh, she was in the remake. But you know, it's funny. They actually changed how Medusa dies in this movie. There was at one point they weren't going to use the sword. They were actually going to pull a Captain America. They were going to have Perseus take her head off with a frisbee throw of the shield.
1: I'm happy they did the sword because they needed a reason for that sword to they be. They more- did,
0: they did. But apparently now, I don't know how true this is because one source I looked at said this, but another one didn't. But apparently Harry Hamlin didn't like mm-hmm. the idea of doing the frisbee throw because he said it wasn't what was in the myth. And when he had to film that scene and that hadn't been changed, he threatened to quit the movie. Huh. Mm-hmm. And he stayed in his trailer <laughs> to the annoyance of of uh, Charles H. Schneer, who was the producer and Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> And the director, mm-hmm. and they managed to get him to come out, according to this story by changing the scene.
1: Hmm. interesting
0: it was a big deal and this movie did take some flack for taking some liberties, which is funny because Harry Hausen was a lover of the classics, and he said like if we adapted these stories exactly as they were, they wouldn't be that interesting a movie, so we had to take some liberties. Right and honestly, I looked up an article that outlined the liberties that were taken from the original Perseus myth, and a lot of the myth is in there. There's a lot of in there, but a lot. But then they changed some things. That's more just kind of. Re- and here's the thing: I would argue that when it comes to mythology, you're allowed to reinterpret it and to retell it in a different fashion because that's how myths always work. There's multiple versions of all of these Greek mythological stories anyway. There were different ideas presented about how Medusa ended up the way she was, or if she always looked beautiful but just had snake hair, or if she was a monster like she was in this, depended mm-hmm. on who you talked to. But, you know, the Pegasus was actually not the last of its kind and part of a herd of horses that belonged to Zeus. Pegasus, the Pegasus in the myth actually sprang out of the blood of Medusa after Perseus killed her. That and a sword-wielding giant. <laughs> <laughs> but they replaced those with,
1: with the, the scorpions, scorpions.
2: Yeah. yeah which
1: minor question uh, sidetrack here mm-hmm. do you think the scorpions were a bit of a nod to like, like black scorpion a I bit
0: wouldn't surprise me they looked very similar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so and then some you know some other things the big one is that the kraken is not even a greek myth it's Norse. Hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And also, the Kraken in Norse mythology is more like an octopus.
1: Octopus, right. Mm-hmm. So, right. like
0: the Kraken that's in the parts of the Caribbean movies, that's actually truer. And for what I remember of the Kraken in the remake, it was actually closer to the real Kraken, which they yeah. probably did that just so they could be different, which is right.
1: Fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> This kraken is undoubtedly Harryhausen. Oh yeah,
0: and it looks like the Emir.
1: <laughs> yeah, it looks like the Emir and the the Martians from his proposed War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm.
0: Now that oh man, War of the Worlds is such a good movie. <laughs> Harryhausen working on it would have just made it even better. Also, the fact that they used Clash of the Titans because it's a good title. The Titans are in Greek mythology. But they're not actually in this movie. They try to call Medusa and the Kraken Titans, but neither yeah. of them are actually
1: Titans yeah. in Greek mythology. Isn't the Titans like the children? No, they God. the gods
0: are the chi- are the Titans' children. Gotcha. They ruled the universe before the gods. The gods <laughs> overthrew right. them.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. If you watch the Disney Hercules, you get an idea of that. Yes,
0: yes, you do, and. Then you have stuff like, like Calibus. Calibus is not from mm-hmm. the myth at all. He's actually based more on Caliban from Shakespeare. And Bubo is not in the myth. However, Athena, who's the goddess that commissions Hephaestus to make the little mechanical Bubo because she had an, an actual owl named Bubo, but she didn't want to send him off to help Perseus because all of the other gods don't like Perseus and they think Zeus is way too nice to him. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's how a lot of these Greek myths work. It's just the gods bickering with each other, and the poor mortals are caught in the middle. <laughs> right. And so she had Hephaestus make the little robot. He's not in there, but Athena was associated with owls.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And also, Bubo, interestingly, is actually the scientific name for the Eurasian horned owl. It's called the Bubo really? Bubo.
1: Interesting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So there are some connections. So it doesn't follow the myth exactly. And you know what? I'm okay with that. But people criticize the movie for doing that. But I've also heard that watching this movie inspired people to look into mythology and become classicists. And I've even heard that this movie is used by school teachers to teach mythology.
1: That's not surprising.
0: Yeah, and, but it's not just this movie. It's all the other ones that he did. It inspired people to look into it. You know, right. Jason I mean, and the Argonauts, the Sinbad movies, all I mean, of these things.
1: Harryhausen did wonders with trying to bring the classic stories into the modern era. You know, He didn't have to modernize them. Mm-hmm. He just brought them into the light, and when he did it, he did it well. Mm-hmm. And The Clash of the Titans, at least... Yeah, yeah. uh, Caliban
0: was from the Tempest, by the way. I just found. Gotcha. Looking through. Gotcha. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Clash of the Titans is like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the theater mentor caretaker for Perseus, played by
0: Burgess Meredith. This is the second movie this month that I have watched that has Burgess Meredith, (laughs) and the other one's being theoretically being released the same day as this episode because he was in Beware the Blob. Hmm. Burgess Meredith, Rocky, you're a bum, Rock. You're a bum. (laughs) (laughs) And now he's a mentor in this. He's like the one American actor in this, other than I think Harry Hamlin.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's not in the myth.
0: Ammon, there is a character named Ammon in Greek mythology. I'll look that uh, up here really quick.
1: I don't think it's the same character that's in the movie, okay. I think. The point I'm getting to here is for Clash of the Titans, it's almost like a combination of Greek myth and Shakespeare. Oh, you know, with, yeah. With Especially all the with the Shakespearean actors. Yeah. yeah, And you, know, you have your character who is in the theater who kind of is there to like cheer on Perseus throughout Mm -hmm. the film. It's very interesting to see two of history's greatest ways of storytelling, you know, the the Greek mythology and Shakespeare kind of combine and show us this really brilliantly combined story. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, I'm going back to, it's very poetic. Mm -hmm. This film is, at the end of the film, he talks about how he's going to, it almost feels like it's Ray speaking to the audience Mm -hmm. about how this story would be a great poem or a play Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how Harryhausen was like, it's a very poetic film. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's a film, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's a play, but on camera.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and... (laughs) Uh, Ammon actually has some very interesting lines that I think in a way you could interpret as being very much something that Ray Harryhausen would say, you know, he said that when he was a young man, he was obsessed with tragedy, but now he's decided that life is too full of tragedy to write about it all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just, I I really felt like his character was in a way Ray. Mm -hmm. speaking to the audience Mm -hmm. and kind of putting himself in the film. Mm -hmm. I mean, Medusa kind of breaks the fourth
0: wall. (laughs) She looks directly at the camera when she's turning that one guy to stone.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's
0: almost like she's trying to do it to the audience, too. And I'm sure she did petrify a few people, scared some people. (laughs) She is a scary, scary monster. (laughs) Uh, Oh, and uh, Medusa in mythology wasn't an archer. Didn't she have a sword? No, I think she was just a monster, but Ray said that he got that from the myth of Diana, who was an archer, Athena. And what's funny is that Medusa is in a tabletop game that I absolutely love called Unmatched, and she's an archer. And I guarantee it's probably because of this
2: movie.
1: Yeah, it definitely... (laughs) But going back to the mythos a bit, I felt like Zeus was a little weird in this movie, knowing how Zeus was in the mythos. He was kind of an a
0: hole. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, he was, they talk about it, how he's just cheating on everybody. He's got this thing for mortal women. Greek mythology is full of demigods that are fathered by Zeus and mortal women. <laughs> yeah. And like, Perseus has got a whole slew of half brothers running
1: around right. doing things. Yeah. Yeah, where's the Zeus cinematic universe? <laughs> it's called Greek mythology. <laughs> <laughs> but like it was weird like Zeus is very like he's my son. Don't mm-hmm. mess with him. Mm-hmm. And then they mess with him and then Zeus was like fine, I'll give him something. It was very like petty. They're yeah, but and that's forth. how the greek gods were they were <laughs> right. all petty. you
0: and you can interpret what he's doing as petty but the rest of the gods are just as petty
1: yeah yeah i mean they are but like it, it got weird when zeus was like sure release the kraken like it, i well, was like
0: there wasn't anything he could do at that point
1: couldn't he just be like no
0: yeah but what would what
1: would perseus have learned at that point i mean that's fair I guess, for, I, narratively speaking, it makes sense. Practically speaking, I think it's, it's a little more... Yeah, but that's the nature of mythology.
0: I, I will admit there are points where like, dude, you could just, you know, put your foot down because you're Zeus, but, you know, that, that we wouldn't have a story and Perseus wouldn't have overcome everything. And I think that was kind of the point when you get to the end because one of the goddesses says this is a dangerous precedent now the mortals are going to realize that through courage and imagination, they can overcome anything and they won't need us.
1: That was a very, I don't like using this term, but meta, like Mm -hmm. hearing them talk about that at the end, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: especially in the modern era.
0: Yeah. Well, which is something that, and it's kind of, it's one of my gripes with the remake because the remake really ran with that because the whole reason that they were doing what they were doing in the remake was because the humans were no longer worshiping them. So they were losing their power mm-hmm. and they wanted to maintain that. So they, but that meant that they had to basically scare the humans into continuing to worship them. And I'm like, I don't like this interpretation. I don't like this take on it. It's just, it's just, mm. it, it felt very anti-religion, even though it's, couched in greek mythology i didn't much appreciate it and this one zeus admits yeah but there's still plenty of vice on earth that they're still gonna need us
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of bittersweet because it's you know he's like yeah that'll happen but there's also other people yeah, yeah it, it there's,
0: was there's still plenty of it left <laughs> they're still gonna need us but yeah, like i said that was the whole point perseus had to Cultivate those virtues, courage and imagination to overcome all of that. Mm -hmm. And Zeus was trying to teach a lesson to the other gods. Because they were being just as petty. I mean, Thetis with Calibus. (laughs) (laughs) She was trying to give him favors. Like, if he was your son, you would be nice to him. uh, Even though we're told he was cruel. He was cruel Mm -hmm. before he got punished by Zeus. Right. I wish we could have seen that. And apparently there was a version of the script where we would have seen that.
1: He would have been in the credit sequence. See, that would have been cool. I, I, I really, Calibos kind of felt like a plot device more than a villain. Yeah, a, a little bit. But he's just one of the numerous
0: obstacles that Perseus right. has to overcome. The plot in this movie is actually pretty simple. It's just, there are all of these things that he has to overcome, which is very in keeping with Greek mythology. They liked doing that where you would have these, where, you know, the plots are simple, but the whole story is about overcoming each obstacle and being strong and clever when you do it, because that's very much what Perseus is in this. Which is why I'm glad that they didn't have Arnold, as much as they love Arnold. It wouldn't have really worked, because he would have been this big muscle man. And the physicality would have been great, but Perseus doesn't always use his physicality to win. He has to be clever. He can't slay the Kraken. He needs Medusa's head to do it. He has to be clever. He can't just walk up to Medusa, outmuscle her, and kill her. She has a bow and arrow, for one thing. And if she looks at you, you turn to stone. So he has to be smart. He has to watch her with the reflection in the shield and then wait for her to come by and then decapitate her. He has to be clever. And I like that. And that wouldn't have worked with Schwarzenegger, I think.
1: Right? Yeah, I feel like because Arnold's more brawn over brain.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, now watch roles. Conan.
0: Conan is yeah. not yeah. Conan is not terribly clever, but he's incredibly strong.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's very
0: mighty for
1: sure. To defeat your enemies. You know, to crush your enemies
0: and see the driven before you, and to hear the lamentations of the women.
1: Yeah, like that's kind of Arnold's whole shtick. Yeah, as Conan there. anyway. So you know, you just crush your enemies. Yeah, he, he he couldn't come across as a very brainy individual. I yeah, think. yeah, not
0: to mention I just don't think it would have. He wouldn't have worked for the romantic scenes either.
1: Yeah, he i he's too strong of a presence, and an actor. To have those personable moments, mm-hmm. I think.
0: Yeah. I would agree with you there. As much as I love him, he's great as Conan, probably not really your Perseus. But like I said, yeah, I see what you mean by that. And they didn't shy away from that. The The goddesses all complain about Zeus doing that. They talk about it. He's like, he's got this weakness for mortal women. He keeps taking different forms so he can go You do things. And he's got all these kids running around. And... So I, they're resentment actually makes sense but one of the other goddesses is like is he really doing this for danae perseus's mother is like no it's not for her it's because he takes pride in his son right and i like that thought and i think it's something that really resounds with people especially young men that you know the idea of your father taking pride in you so he's going out of his way to help you out you know, because Perseus does get a fair amount of help from the gods. He also gets a lot yeah. of obstacles thrown his way by the gods. Another issue I have with the remake where we don't really have that. We got Zeus saying, Oh yeah, I like Perseus, but he's not really helping him. Not really. Mm-hmm. For what I remember, mind you, it's been years since I've seen it. But
1: Yeah, like you said, it's very basic, but it works. Mm-hmm. And it tells the story it needs to tell. Mm -hmm.
0: And Calibus doing what he's doing, it fits in with that. He was the original suitor for Andromeda, which is not the myth. But, you know, so he's whisking her away and trying to woo her, but she's having none of it. And Mm -hmm. then he gets jealous because of Perseus, and she likes Perseus. Oh, and Perseus has to answer her riddle, and she changes the riddle all the time. Mm -hmm. and so he's clever and he and figures out the riddle and then you know like that makes sense for why calibus would be going after him but like i said it's just he's just one of multiple things that he has to deal with
1: right now if we're going to talk about calibus for a bit there is i i put two uh things in my notes about him what's that the first one was, I loved the transformation sequence. I loved how it was, oh, the shadow it was of... in
0: Shadow is the little clay yeah. figure. Because Zeus yeah. Zeus <laughs> collects ac- uh, clay action figures. Of everybody? Yeah. Of everybody. Oh, what's really scary is he crushes the one for Danae's husband. Because mm-hmm. he, wa- he was the one who threw him into the coffin. Mm-hmm. Put him out to sea and he crushed it. And the guy basically had a heart attack and died. Mm -hmm. And while the clay figure turned to dust. And I thought that was funny because I saw an interview of Ray Harryhausen where he joked that he had a quote-unquote Zeus complex because (laughs) he made little figurines and moved them around and controlled them. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm a little scared now.
1: (laughs) Plot twist. After Ray Harryhausen passed away, he just went up and became became Zeus. (laughs) Zeus. And he just manipulates all of us with little, little. uh,
0: Plot twist. Ray Harryhausen is Zeus. (laughs) (laughs) He's been Zeus this entire time. He didn't die. He just went back to Olympus. (laughs) Considering I live and work on Monster Island, that's not
1: much of a stretch. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um.
1: And then the last one, I, the, only, uh, the other note I had for Calipos, and this is a negative, so I had a positive and a negative, was his death was a bit messy with the sound mixing. Mm. There's a lot of mm. moments where he, like, he opens his mouth like he's supposed yeah. to be like, ah, <laughs> ah, and it's just silent.
0: Yeah, I think it's supposed to be that he screamed briefly and his mouth just stayed open in shock.
1: I don't know. I feel like it's like moving throughout that death Mm. sequence, but Mm. well, Harryhausen,
0: (laughs) Harryhausen said that he was known for making his characters die. Like they were tenors in an opera. (laughs) (laughs) And that was definitely a very dramatic death for Calabus. there. It
1: was. And while we're talking about the story and kind of the script here, I forgot the comedy. I didn't realize there was, like... It's funny. Yeah, there's a lot
0: of parts. It's like, wow, okay. And there's some witty lines in this, too. I I liked, I'm invisible. Can't you see? Yeah, I was like, (laughs) wow.
2: You know know what?
0: No, Jimmy. No. That gets the rim shot.
1: I'm sorry. (laughs) Because that was a good one. It was just, the wit in this film was kind of like, I forgot it happened. Well, it's Burgess
0: Meredith. I think that's part of it. Burgess Mm -hmm. Meredith was a very veteran actor. He'd been acting for like 50 years at this point. (laughs) Rocky was just the latest thing he was doing. Oh, and Bubo, the physical comedy with Bubo. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't quite work, which I think was a plan by Athena. She's like, no, I'm not going to give him my actual owl. I'll make the robot, uh, I'll make the clockwork double, but he'll be kind of defective. Yeah. It won't work quite. Quite. Yeah. But and let me tell you, Harryhausen fans are very protective of Bubo. You do
1: not mess with the Boobo. <laughs> I actually read somewhere that Bubo later appeared in the Justice League animated
0: episode. He did. He did. Justice League action, which I haven't seen yet. And oh, he gets mistreated in the remake. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets thrown away with the garbage.
1: I remember that.
0: That made people so angry. So angry. I would all... Uh, here's the thing. I don't know if you listened to the power trip, Elijah, but I think there is a Bubo-inspired character in both Super Sentai and Power Rangers.
1: I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if that if was If you watch
0: Time Ranger, which got made into Time Force, mm-hmm. there's a character in Time Force. His name is Circuit. He's a little blue owl robot. And both Michael <laughs> and I were like, he was inspired by Bubo, wasn't he? And he's adorable. Circuit is adorable.
1: Yeah, and one thing that Harryhausen talked about was how much he heard about how he inspired people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. He said that one of the things that kind of kept him going was hearing from like Phil Tippett and George Mm -hmm. Lucas and James Cameron and Steven Spielberg, Mm -hmm. how his films helped inspire them. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I I feel like I'm going to go back to the first thing I brought up. It's really interesting to see like at one point. Harryhausen working with the people or working around the people that claimed that they are what made them go into movies. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's poetic. It goes back to how Willis O'Brien taught Harryhausen everything he knew Mm -hmm. because he was O'Brien's apprentice. Mm -hmm. And now we have Harryhausen working around like George Lucas and Spielberg. Mm It's, it's poetic. It's nice. Mm-hmm. I'm using that. Today's word is poetic. <laughs> I could tell.
0: So just one more quick thing, because we could go into a lot. I, well, I have a couple of things. Did go you know that it. there were action figures for this? There were toys?
1: I did. I, By uh, Mattel. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And they, they were, were always really hard, hard to, to get. play catch-up because they infamously turned down Star Wars. Yeah. And then the toys they made for this movie, got buried by Star Wars.
1: Yeah, they didn't do well, and then now they're, like, really hard to get. They're really but hard I'd to get, but they had I'd a bunch love. of them. They had,
0: little, they had little figurines for the different characters. They had a big Kraken.
1: Kraken, yeah.
0: And uh, they had a Pegasus that was modeled after a girl's horse doll. And mm-hmm. what's really crazy is apparently they had a working prototype for a clockwork boobo, but they never released it because the rest uh. of the toys didn't sell.
1: Yeah, I, I would love to get my hands on a Kraken. Oh,
0: we have to scour eBay a little bit, see if we can find it.
1: <laughs> Not for the $700 price tag, i will be honest. it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's gotten a little nuts. It's funny how that works. And just a fun little fact, shout out to our friend Danny DeMana. The novelization of this film was written by Alan Dean Foster, who was a prolific fantasy and science fiction writer. Wrote some Star Wars. He wrote a lot of things.
1: I feel like I, I read that somewhere when I was doing my little look into the research.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would be curious to read this novelization because I hear he goes into a little more depth about the characters, which typically happens hmm. in novelizations right. because you're allotted the space to do it. Right. So, yeah. There's a lot we could go into about this, but I think we've gone on plenty long. So unless you have anything else to add to this, I think we can call our first Harry Housing crossover special a success.
1: (laughs) I mean, do you want to go into any like I'm fine if you want to go into another little thing or not? Well,
0: I'm just looking over my notes, seeing what we haven't already covered. Harry Harryhausen was inspired by a movie that he saw in his childhood called Freaks, which had people mm. without legs, which is where some of the inspiration for Medusa came from. Hmm. I forgot to mention that the other monster and the myth that came out of Pegas- not Pegasus, but Medusa's blood was, the, was called Chrysauer. That was the, okay. the giant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know why that happened? It's because Medusa was pregnant by Poseidon. Oh,
1: God. You
0: remember that little story that they told about why she ended up the way she did in this
1: movie? That is from yeah. the myth. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, Poseidon was hilarious in this movie. Oh, yeah. I loved watching him mm-hmm. underwater.
0: Mm-hmm. He looks very confused sometimes.
1: <laughs> He's just kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm
0: releasing that <laughs> Kraken. And the talking sense from Bubo apparently came from a British TV, uh, British. Children's TV show called The Changers. I know nothing about that, but apparently Harry Housen was a fan. That tracks. <laughs> All right. I have no idea what that is. So, because I didn't grow up in Britain. I'll ask WHG3 if he knows anything about that. Oh, the music. And you're talking about the soundtrack. The music arches up when Medusa comes onto the scene and arches her back.
1: I like the detail.
0: Mm-hmm. Burgess Meredith was a pretty nice guy, but he was known for being, quote unquote, slightly cantankerous on set. He liked to test the director.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's Burgess I would Meredith. Have people. you seen Rocky? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, come on. You're a bum, Rock. You're a bum. <laughs> oh, and they also think that Harryhausen got Kraken from an early 20th century story called Kraken Awakes. But in, the, in the, I should have brought this up, in the original myth, it was Setos, I think, was the creature's name, and it was a leviathan. It was a
1: serpentine fish. So, do you think that's kind of why the design of the Kraken is the way it is? A little Probably, bit? that would make sense.
0: I don't know why they decided to use that instead of Setos.
1: I think Kraken just sounds better. It does. Because, uh, I mean, one one thing about filmmaking is sometimes people just do it because it looks and sounds better. Mm-hmm. You know, it, what what was it, Citos? Citos. Release C- uh, Citos. Yeah, release Citos. Uh, release the Kraken. Yeah. I mean, yeah, which one sounds cooler? It, yeah, I can't argue with you there. I feel like the Kraken in general is just a more universally acknowledged image, you know, giant octopus octopi have been, I mean, 20,000 leaks under the sea had a movie adaptation in, was it 1918, 1954? Sounds about right.
0: As uh, Cetus, C E T U S. So like
1: Zetus, but Cetus mm-hmm. release the Cetus. Eh.
0: Uh,
1: it doesn't, it doesn't work. Eh. It eh. doesn't
0: work. Yeah, not really. Uh, it's just cool. It is. And it's honestly, I think next to Medusa, I think is probably the best creature in this. Although the the Pegasus is impressive too because, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, they had to work so hard to get the Pegasus <sighs> to look right. Right. Yeah, they did some test footage where it was just the wings flapping when it, uh, when it flew, but it didn't look right. So then they changed it to make it look like it was galloping in the air, and I really like that. It looks so dynamic.
1: Yeah, it. It. I think on a visual standpoint, galloping while the wings are flying just it adds a sense of fantasy to it. That's like okay, I recognize this, but I also it's new to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And then what's interesting is that Perseus
0: has to tame the Pegasus. Right, yeah, that. that So it's a gift. It's a gift from his father, like the uh, the sword and the helmet and the shield. But he had to earn this one.
1: Yeah, and that I thought that was kind of cool. How he had to work to get this, Mm -hmm. that specific one. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Whereas the other ones were just given to him. Right. So, which is nice. I don't like it necessarily when the heroes just have stuff handed to them. I like seeing them earn things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, good line here from Ammon. Call no man happy who is not dead. <laughs> Amen to that one. How <laughs> <laughs> very nihilistic of you. <laughs> Another good line from Zeus. A hundred good deeds cannot atone for
1: one murder. That was a really nice line. Mm-hmm. I really like that one. There's some
0: really good ones in this.
1: And I think that's that goes back to the attempt to be a little Shakespearean. Oh, yeah,
0: for sure. For sure. Yeah, these are, uh, mo- uh, that's basically most of the important notes that I have. Oh,
1: I have one last criticism. Oh, what's that? At the end, when Zeus is doing his monologue, and he's like, "I put them in the stars," Perseus, mm-hmm. uh, which, is the in, which is a thing,
0: which is a thing in Greek mythology. That's how, how they explain a lot of the constellations,
1: right? But he says, "Perseus, Andromeda, Pegasus," and then, uh, what's it? I? The fourth one was like the least important out of the story, but when it, yeah, Andromeda's when, when, mother. When it shows the constellation constellations, it goes Perseus, Andromeda, Andromeda's mother, then Pegasus, which is a little weird. I didn't like that. I wish it would have went Perseus, Andromeda, Pegasus, Andromeda's mother, like how he lists <laughs> it. I'm with
0: Jimmy. That's very nitpicky.
1: <laughs> I know it's a nitpick, but like I saw it, and I was like, "Oh my god, why did you do it that?" Way? Like I, <laughs> I went, I went all like. Why, why, why?
0: <laughs> you freak out over the weirdest things, dude.
1: <laughs> it's the it's little things that matter.
0: Apparently, that, uh, for you, that is the case. Although, let's be honest, we've all done that at one point or another. Be nitpicky? Yeah. Oh, here's that actor you were trying to remember earlier. Jack William.
1: Jack William.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was Poseidon, and he was King Eighties. In Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah. Yep. That sounds right. Yep. Amazing so, what I find just rummaging through my you know, my notes. Oh, by the way, the great the late, great Siskel and Ebert both loved this movie and gave it three and a half out of four stars in case anyone cared.
1: You know, I, when I looked, I was kind of shocked. The Rotten Tomato score for this is 65. That angers me. I, I was really surprised by that. Yeah, that, that angers but, me. Speaking of those scores, do you kind of want to get a, give an overall kind of like final opinion on the film? Yes,
0: we can give some final thoughts right now. I don't usually assign scores unless I go on to Kaiju Weekly and then we have to do the Godzuki scores. But I hang out with Godzuki, so I don't give scores. Fair enough.
1: Yeah, I usually just kind of throw out like, I mean, it's, it's decent. I like his uh, X out of five. Yeah, but. I mean, if you want to do that, you go ahead and do that. I would, if I had to give
0: it a score. Twist, Byron, can't make me give it a score. Probably give it a four out of five. I think it is. It, it was a relic when it came out, but it's a relic in the best way possible. It's an old-fashioned, classical adventure story with some of what I think is some of the greatest work Harryhausen ever did in his career. The Medusa mm-hmm. scene alone is just. Uncanny and unequaled, I feel like, in <laughs> many ways. There was never anything like that before, and never anything quite like it after. And it, it's a time capsule, it was a time capsule when it came out, like I said. And if you haven't seen it, I hope you do go and see it. I think it's better than the remake, and I also would love to see this get the star treatment. You know, yeah, apparently the. Harryhausen Institute actually recorded a commentary with Harryhausen on the movie, but it's not been released yet.
1: See, that is what the ultimate criterion Ray Harryhausen box set should include. Mm -hmm. If that ever happens. If it ever happens. So... I'm going to go a quick little tidbit facts about copyright on this film and Harryhausen's other films. So this film is one of the three that are owned by Warner Brothers, Mm -hmm. the other two being The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and The Valley of Guanji. If you want to count the animal world, the animal world too. So in theory, Warner could do a four-movie box set with those. Disney owns One Million Years B.C. through their acquisition of Fox – so that's going to be in kind of limbo. And at one point, Columbia was going to pick up Clash of the Titans, but they passed on it due to budgetary reasons. But Columbia has the rest of Harryhausen's mm-hmm. films. It came from Beneath the Sea, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, 20 Million Miles to Earth, The Three Worlds of Gulliver, all three Sinbad films, Jason and the Argonauts. All of those, Columbia was the one they worked with. So kind of surprising Columbia didn't work with Harry house this one last time. It's kind of disappointing too. Oh, well, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, overall the film is a lot more dated than I remember.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was instantly dated when it came out mm-hmm. and now it's even more dated. I like the effects. I enjoy them. I, it's a little disappointing, that it came out in 81 in that regards, mm-hmm. but it's not horrible, it's just disappointing that Harry Hausen didn't do anything new. Granted, we've established that that was just kind of his that was his thing, feng shui. Mm-hmm. but it's it's a fun movie. Uh, when I think of Harry Hausen, there's two things I think of: I think of the Ymir on top of the Mm Colosseum and I think of the Kraken rising up from the ocean near those rock formations before uh, he tries to grab uh, Andromeda Andromeda so I I think it's one of his most memorable films Mm -hmm. I I think it was my first Harryhausen film I saw
0: I think it might have been mine as well I remember catching this on TV one time
1: it's a great film for what it is it's Mm -hmm. Clearly, Harryhausen. Mm-hmm. Undeniably, um, Harryhausen. Absolutely. Rewatching it today uh, was interesting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have some nitpicks and I have my gripes. You are uh, the littlest gatekeeper, after all. Yeah, that's what that's what you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got plenty of nudity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that makes everything better for you. <laughs>
1: people are going to think that that's like a selling point for me. And it really isn't. I could care less. It was actually I, not all that much. <laughs> I, I just, I, I had to keep the joke going. Yeah. I haven't mentioned breastfeeding or nudity yeah. at all. Well, in like you know, fun hour. fact,
0: if, uh, the girl who played Andromeda, that wasn't her in the nude scene. That was a body double.
1: I, I she was, could, I, she couldn't do it. I was like, I don't think the actress would actually let the side nipple. I I, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a yeah. that's a new double. Yeah. So I'm not surprised by that, and yeah, I'm yeah. And that, that I, was I was thinking right. of that when
0: you're talking about the editing, because there's like there's clearly an edit where they switch, and it's actually her.
1: Yeah. So I'm kind of happy I could pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, I maybe I do know what I'm talking about for the most
0: part. <laughs> maybe you do sometimes. All right. So uh, to wrap things up, I'm going to play my credits because I don't think you have any credits to play. Not so yet. I will briefly say hey, everyone, go check out my spinoff podcast, Henshin Men, uh, which is about Henshin Heroes and the Power Trip, A Journey Through the Power Rangers franchise that I co-host with a couple of good friends of ours travis alexander on henshin men and michael hamilton on the power trip and i want to give quick shout outs right now to our mifv max patrons on patreon travis alexander as i already mentioned danny demana eli harris chris cook bex from Adim Dotaku, otaku damon noise the Cellcast, tofu fury eric anderson and ted williams and since I'll be playing My Credits Live, Elijah, let all the good folks know where they can find you and you know where they can find this podcast and everything else.
1: Okay. I don't have the script because I didn't bring my tablet because I forgot it. So we're just going to do this off the top of my head. Oh, no. Thank you guys so much for listening. It's great to be back, and I'm excited for the future. We should be getting a new episode coming out In uh, like two weeks, probably after this episode comes out, little tease for you. It's not going to be anything exciting. It's just going to be catching up, learning about all the fun stuff that we've been doing since we haven't uploaded. (gasps) How dare you. So, yeah, right. So, I am Elijah. You can find me on YouTube at ET13 Productions. I haven't uploaded like in a year on that account either. So Yeah, but you were busy Um,
0: graduating high school.
1: Yeah. Or was it kindergarten? I forget. I, I I don't keep track anymore. I feel <laughs> like I got held back too much. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at ET13Productions or if you want to follow my personal account, which is whatever is going on in the mind of one Elijah Thomas, you can follow me at thomas 1975 You can find me on Instagram at ET13Productions or on Facebook at Elijah Thomas, which again, I don't really post a lot, so You're just gonna get a lot of empty stuff, but you know, maybe maybe you want to message me, be like, "Hey, it's nice to hear that you're podcasting again. It's great. You should also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five star. Lots and lots of five stars. Yeah, I would really appreciate to get above a two point like two (laughs) (laughs) because some people don't like the people I'm friends with. Uh. I I don't know I. I've done nothing to you people. I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. I... You don't know my politics. You don't know how I view things. Maybe we agree. You don't know. Nobody knows. Well... Some people know, but not a lot of people know. I feel like I'm a fair person. So if you could leave us a review, I'll read that on air. A five star would be great. I would just like to bump it up so people don't think that we are absolute garbage. You can follow the podcast at Kaiju underscore Converse on Twitter, on Facebook. Which might be about shoes. You know, I've been waiting for somebody to make that joke. I I've, I've made that joke before. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you've said it to me though. I feel like like I don't I don't feel like anybody has ever pointed out the fact that it's converse like the shoes. Thank you so much for that, Nathan. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> or on instagram at kaiju conversation and we also have a youtube channel kaiju conversation where you can listen to an exclusive interview with mecha gods uh, ready player one and godzilla vs kong designer jared kurchaveski i think i mispronounced mm-hmm. his last name mm-hmm. along with some other bonus things speaking of which you should be expecting a little bonus video coming up in the coming <gasps> weeks All in celebration for the reboot, the return, the exciting second chapter of the Kaiju Conversation Saga. It's probably like the third or fourth at this point. But a lot of exciting stuff to come. I appreciate you guys hanging in. I appreciate Nathan and Travis and Michael for kind of pushing my butt along Mm -hmm. and like having me on and having me talk. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because I I talk a lot. I Mm -hmm. talk a lot. And I should get back on the mic and talk more.
0: Yes, you should. And not only do you have that, but we also are going to be at G-Fest. And we're going to be paddling
1: together. I was keeping that a secret. There's the announcement, guys. (laughs) I didn't say anything yet. I don't know if I was. I was just kind of like still getting around that. Uh But, yeah, that's happening. That's going to be exciting. If you want to meet me. I don't know why you would want to meet me. He has I'm a face. A, I'm I'm not that special. I'm, I'm, I'm a six foot one, blonde headed, Caucasian that's slightly overweight. <laughs> There's nothing special about me. You're I sometimes you're a glasses. tall,
0: chubby toehead is what you're saying. I,
1: I don't know if just, I honestly I feel like I've lost weight so it's more just like slightly overweight <laughs> but yeah that that's happening that that you know if somebody's like are you Elijah from Kaiju conversation yeah, I like, uh,
0: if I remember going to G-Fest and recognizing people by their voices and I'm like I know that voice and I look over it's like you don't look how I pictured <laughs> Anyway, anyway, we're going like, to have a good time. Good time will be had by all.
1: So will be fun.
0: Yeah, it'll be great. Got everything
1: covered? Go on Patreon and support the Monster Island Film Vault. <laughs> I don't ever do plugs for Patreon, so go to www.patreon.com.
0: Well, set an example. Rejoin MIFV Max
2: right now.
1: <laughs> and they're back. They okay. just joined. That's what that moment of silence was for, was <laughs> them to go and do that, and then they come back. Okay, so, sure,
0: sure. Well, I if you've got
1: everything covered. Oh, <laughs> there's one thing we both missed. Oh, what's that? We both write for Kaiju Run Media.
0: This is true, and they have a new issue that will be coming out very soon, and we both have articles in there.
1: I did. Uh, we do, we do. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you wrote about. I know what I wrote about. I, I- wrote about Gomez and a Jurassic. I wrote about a more obscure title. I usually don't like to announce what I write about just simply for the surprise, Mm -hmm. but I will just say this. It's about a lost film that has quite the interesting history and a lot of importance to where it comes from. But in researching it, I found out there are other films (gasps) that are also giant monsters so now I'm going to have to look into those, maybe do a little essay about those. But we also write for the website. Do you write for the website? You write yes, for the I website. Do. Yes, mm-hmm. you do. I write for the website, too. I've posted a few. Kaijuramenmedia.com. Kaijuramenmedia.com. And you can follow that on Twitter at Kaiju Ramen Media. right? Yes. That's Okay, cool. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so support those. It's run by our friends Travis and Michael of mm-hmm. the Kaiju Weekly podcast. Great guys, and uh, they they put a lot of effort into this. Mm-hmm. So so much, I, so much. I'm honored to be able to help them on this. Not painless. There's probably some pain that comes with it. This kind of painful <laughs> journey that they've put on themselves, but it's it's been fun, and I've enjoyed it a lot, and I'm happy that. Both me and Nathan can work with them on that. So,
0: yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, that's been great. And you know what else has been great? This episode. Dang it. <laughs> yeah, I just
1: keep going. I don't want it to end. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: I mean, just wait until we do some more Harry housing next year, which is going to be, like I said, Sinbad and the eye of the tiger. There's going to be so many Rocky jokes next year when we do this. <laughs>
1: I've never seen Rocky, and I think I'm going to keep it that way just so I don't know anything you're talking about.
0: What? How dare you? How dare I don't
1: you? watch pleb films. I don't watch pleb films. I pleb watch... Pleb films? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All
0: right. You and me, Littlest
1: Gatekeeper, we need to have a conversation. But first, I got to get us off the air. That's right. So please, everybody, remember, life's too short to not talk big. All right, Jimmy. Cue the credits.
0: Thank you for listening to The Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at beback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at monsterislandfilmvault and on Twitter, where our handle is at the Monster Isla One. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawScomics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Sarax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus which is a remix of Counter-Attack Battle with the Colossus and The Opened Way Battle with the Colossus by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media Production. Sayonara!